Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown. With three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown, you get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos. 6.30, Chad. We saw that incident last night where Habs defenseman P.K. Subban had to be taken off on a stretcher. He's going to miss tomorrow night's game against Minnesota. The team calling it a non-serious neck injury. Also today, Dennis Weidman had his suspension reduced from 20 to 10 games, which is odd considering he'd served almost the entire 20-game suspension. And uh, the Oilers activating Ryan Nugent Hopkins as they get ready to face the Arizona Coyotes tomorrow. Five-game homestand coming up for Edmonton. They have just 12 games left in their regular season. Reed Wilkins with you, 7.06 Inside Sports on 6.30. Ched, thanks for tuning in tonight. Later on this evening, we will have the latest installment of our Living the Dream segment. This is where we uh, feature somebody making their way through... uh, the minor leagues, when we launched it four or five weeks ago, we had uh, Derek Ryan on the show, who at that time was with the Charlotte Checkers, former U of A Golden Bear, hoping to play his first game in the National Hockey League. He has since played in the NHL. He scored a goal in his first game, and now he's uh, back down with Charlotte. But we wish Derek all the best in his future endeavors. And, of course, a guy who knows all about Mr. Ryan and the U of A Golden Bears and a whole bunch of other stuff is Bob Stoffer, host of Oilers Now. Bob, thanks for making time for me tonight, man. How's it going? Good. I actually uh, talked to Derek Ryan a couple days ago. Charlotte had gone into a uh, real tailspin, and they uh, had some culture issues with their group, so they moved out uh, a couple players. Uh, Andrew Miller, who was in the Oilers organization, I think was probably looking for a new start. Uh, He was loaned to uh, Charlotte, that is uh, the Carolina Hurricanes farm team, and conversely, Zach Boychuk, who was about minus 25 this year, a former first-round draft choice, of the Carolina Hurricanes. He got loaned to Edmonton. They then loaned out uh, T.J. Hensick uh, to another organization, and they also picked up Dane Fox uh, from the Vancouver Canucks, who uh, had a huge year a couple of years ago playing with Connor McDavid and Erie for Chris Knobloch. So uh, my expectation is that Derek uh, basically told me that when they sent him down, uh, help get it turned around down there, help get some victories, but... Uh, do not be surprised if you see yourself back in Carolina by the NLC on a second recall. Well, he deserves a shot for sure. You know, it got me wondering, Bob, I mean, you've been watching U of A hockey a long time. A lot of great Golden Bears. Not very many of them have played in the National Hockey League. Certainly Herbers and Cross, other guys that come to mind. Um, let me ask you this. Best, and I almost hate to do this to you because you know a lot of these guys, but uh, best bear you ever saw and maybe best non-bear you ever saw in CIS hockey? Uh, the best bear for me would be Adam Morrison, who uh, played in the late 80s and early 90s. He scored 50 goals 
with Victoria in the Western Hockey League. He could really shoot the puck. Uh, he led the uh, he was the CIS player of the year, I think, back in ninety one, ninety two. Um, Adam turned down NHL contracts every year that he was at the U of A. Uh, these were not. Uh, I mean, the one year it was a one way that he turned down. Uh, he ended up working in a police force for a number of years. I think he he wanted to be. Uh, a police officer more than a hockey player, and the money was different back then too, right? In the late '80s, early '90s, it sort of uh, grew exponentially. Uh, Adam was tough; he could he could absolutely hammer the puck. Like he had a, there's no question he had an NHL shot. His conditioning was a bit of a concern uh, to progress, and I have absolute confidence that he would have been a top scorer at the HL level. But the New Jersey Devils wanted him as a second line center. And so, for me, Adam would be Russ Houston. You know, was a two-time CIS Player of the Year, but he would have been challenged to have played at the AHL level just because of the foot speed. And he didn't have quite as he was a very intelligent player, but didn't have quite as a dynamic game. And then, in terms of just sheer excitement, Stacy Wakabayashi, who uh, played for Coach Drake back in the, uh, just you know, I think Adam was with him for one year, but Wakabayashi was a. A fleet-footed uh, player when the game, you know, a lot of the games back then were 11-7, and it's like the NHL, 10-6, you know, 9-5, that sort of stuff in the from you know the sort of the 85 to 89 range. So those are three guys that were pretty good. The guys that make it, it it's more about fit, you know, like Herbers and Cross were big hulking defensemen. Uh, Herbers had a little bit more of a mean streak. Cross was a better skater, and uh, you know, Derek Ryan's case, I mean, the Oilers. We're certainly made well aware of his abilities once he first led the Austrian League in goal scoring, then last year the Swedish Elite League. And I know we talked about this. Uh, uh, you know, I, I spoke to Victor Foss and Oscar Kleffbaum last year when Derek was leading our barrel and leading the Swedish Elite League in scoring. And they both said if he's doing that in that league, he can play, you know, he can certainly be a star in the AHL and, and be a guy that would be merit consideration for the NHL. So. And he's done that this year. So, in a long-winded answer, there's your answer. <laughs> okay. Oh, that was a good answer. Uh, well, and a couple of those guys, Morrison and Wakabayashi. I was not yet uh, an Edmontonian nor a U of A student, so I never really saw those guys saw those guys play. Bob Stoffer joining us, seven eleven. Uh, again, the CIS seating depends on uh, the Ontario games. Uh, what tomorrow, Bob? Yeah. I, I would expect yeah. it. It really looks to me like the Bears are probably going to be five. Yeah. And Saskatchewan's probably going to be two, I think, regardless of what happens in Ontario. Uh, well, if, if UQTR gets knocked off with UNB losing, Saskatchewan's going to move up to number one. So UQTR goes to Western. And traditionally, the, the uh, OUA championship, I think, has to be, uh, when they swallow up the Quebec team, the OUA championship has to be played in, the, in, uh, in Ontario. So... Uh, there's been a lot of years where the OUA championship has seen uh, better teams from, you know, Miguel or UQTR lose that championship game, and it screwed up the whole seeding process in the tournament. So uh, I, that that is feasible. Like Western Clark Singer has coached there for a long time, and they've been a pretty good OUA team. I wouldn't say they're an elite level CIS team most years, but they they could beat UQTR, and if that happens, Saskatchewan's going to go end up going in that tournament number one, and then they have to see the other uh, the other top two teams based on who wins their conference championships. So Santa Fe would probably go to two, Western would go to three, and I could envision Alberta dropping to six because uh, 
UNB and UCUTR were ahead of Alberta uh, going into this weekend in the rankings. So five or six for Alberta, depending upon what happens yesterday or tomorrow. And I'm not sure, you know, I'm on the top 10 committee, but if they put the OUA runner-up at four, that could push Alberta down to six overall. Right. Okay. Yeah, fair enough. Um, Nugent Hopkins back, Bob. Yeah. He got activated this afternoon. Obviously, the team didn't practice, so we didn't see any line combinations. I know a couple people have asked me, actually, Mitch, who uh, you and I know, he's been uh, uh, a loyal fan in Penticton. Does the player have to go down with Nugent being activated? Well, they can have more than 23 uh, for now, right? As long as they're as long as they're cap compliant, yes, they can be over twenty three. Right now, I the the bigger question is the line combinations, and I'm just wondering if Nugent. I mean, Hendricks might not be able to play. Yep. Uh, I liked Maroon, Leon, and Everly yesterday. Leon had. I mean, he looked tired against San Jose, but he looked completely energetic last night. Hall, McDavid, and Cassian. I'm not giving up on the Hall, McDavid duo, and I think if they would have converted that crisscross give and go in the third period, people probably wouldn't have been criticizing uh, them like they were last night. I wonder if Nugent Hopkins just goes in with Yakupov and Korpakoski and you bump Latestu down. Yeah, see, I don't see that. I actually think uh, what we're going to see happen here is uh, I think there's a distinct possibility that Nugent Hopkins is going to play with Latestu and, and Yakupov. And, uh, and that way, Latestu, who's a, a right-handed center, can assist Nugent Hopkins in the face-off circle. Uh, and they can gradually work Ryan in where he gets a little bit of support for the first couple games in terms of uh, defensively with Latestu. Um, and this also might give us a harbinger of things to come with Latestu. I don't think it's set in stone that he's going to necessarily play center the rest of the way. I mean, I think the owners are going to mix, uh, mix and match, and sometimes he's, he might actually play a little bit on the wing. Uh, and then because of the Hendricks injury, I mean, that's the obvious Nugent Hopkins goes in for Hendricks. I think Pacarinen had an okay game, but if I'm Todd McClellan, I'm actually thinking of inserting Lander back in the lineup because they might, with Hendricks out, and Hendricks is a pretty good guy in the face-off circle, uh, they might need another guy that sees some face-offs taking some draws. That, that might make Lander a option instead of he'll roll Pacarinen. So we'll, we'll see, but my guess is they're going to play Nugent Hopkins uh, with uh, Mark Letestu tomorrow. All right, and then you and have to- and, and Reed. I'm totally with you on the other two lines. I think you got to give those those two lines a chance to play together for a while. And this also gives Yakupov, uh, you know, playmaking center to to try to get him going a bit. So you'd have Lander probably with uh, Cracknell and Korpakoski then if Hendricks can't go. I mean, there's no reason to take Korpakoski out three goals in his last five. Well, here's the thing, and Mar- I mean Maroon to me. He's exactly what the Oilers needed. He, I mean, look, he doesn't. Does he skate well? No, but he gets. Rob and I were talking last night. Where's the puck in the offensive zone? It's often below the icing line or in front of the net, and that's where he goes. Simple, simple game. Willing to hit. Willing to stand up for his teammates. Um, good price point for him for the next couple of years. It did so far so good for Maroon. Very good, I think. Well, the fact that you got Anaheim swallowing, retaining 25% of the contract. I mean, Maroon knows how to play a puck possession game. You look at Cassian, and Cassian might actually have superior physical tools because he's a better skater. But Maroon, to this point, I mean, you take a look at the work Maroon's done in the playoffs, and he has proven that he can be a very effective player come crunch time. I mean, nine goals, 18 points, 28 playoff games. In the case of Cassian, um, I, I, I like 
the option of having Cassian to play in the top six, and I want to give him some time. But I think there's in, in both players there's a lot of unrealized potential, and it's up to them. But the opportunity is here. The opportunity is here, and it would not surprise me, Reed. I mean, let's not forget Pouliot's out, and that is a big like we're all happy that Nugent Hopkins is back. Pouliot has become a very effective forward for this team. I still think the Oilers want to add one more bigger winger at some point, and which brings us to where Yakupov's status is going to be long-term. Because I think they'd like to replace Yakupov with a bigger body that can add some physicality to their game and maybe a little bit more, uh, has a little bit better defensive zone awareness. Yeah, well, they miss Pouliot, obviously. He's a, I mean, to me, Pouliot's more lanky and long than big. Yeah, like, he's not sure. thick like Cassian and, and certainly like Maroon or even a dry sidle. So Pouliot doesn't necessarily play that big man's game, though, not in the same way Maroon plays it. But he's got a good stick, and he's quick on pucks, and that's what makes him effective with McDavid because, you know, McDavid just needs a little, you know, a little bobble. I know I talked to Jordan Everly after the game last night. He really liked playing a dry sidle and Maroon. He's like, you know, I've got, I got a ton of space out there with those guys, and they're the guys that can cycle and protect the puck, and then I can get to some open spots. I mean, it was a good fit. That line... I think you'd agree that line was, you know, they had multiple scoring opportunities. They even looked good when they got put together for the third period the other night at home against San Jose. So I'm going to be interested to see how Edmonton, you know, handles Arizona tomorrow night. Arizona's down in Calgary tonight. Time has come for the orders to beat this team in regulation, and uh, they need to assert their will on them early. All right, Bob. Thanks for making time for me, man. I'll see you at the rink. Hey, thanks for the warning. Right on. That's Bob Stoffer checking in. You get him every weekday, noon to 2. Oilers now here on 6.30 Chet. And, of course, he's uh, the analyst for the games on the Oilers Radio Network. 6.30 face-off show tomorrow. 8 o'clock face-off all on 6.30 Chet. Interesting stuff there. Bob thinks it's going to be Nugent Hopkins, Latestu, and Yakupov. We'll find out tomorrow morning. 7.19 Inside Sports on Chet. Your home for breaking news and expert opinion. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chad. All right, thanks for tuning in tonight. The Oil Kings underway now at Rexall Place. No score. They're only about five minutes in. They're taking on the Calgary Hitmen. Then they visit the Hitmen tomorrow night. Uh, about uh, six and a half minutes into the game now. In uh, the curling, Northern Ontario in control, up 4-1 on Newfoundland and Labrador. That one in the sixth end. Alberta takes on Manitoba tomorrow afternoon. And uh, Mark Kennedy from Team Alberta will join us later on on Inside Sports. Chris from Phoenix has called in. I don't know what the curling culture is like in Phoenix, Chris, but I'm guessing it's not as strong as in Northern Alberta. Nah, not really, but it's getting popular, not down here, but in the U.S., I'm noticing. But a uh, uh, good game last night. Uh, Oilers are uh, playing some pretty hockey. I, I, I like that. Um, wait, they did win last night, right? Yes, they won 2-1. They won <laughs> um, okay, I was a 2-1. Sorry, I was like, I, I'm just kind of, it, it's Friday. Are you okay, uh, buddy? <laughs> uh, <laughs>
approached them, you know, head on. So I didn't really – they should have just made them both one game. And I, and I, and I honestly don't see how the, the players should be penalized for the refs not doing their job. And that, that's another funny thing. They need to start punishing these refs or, or doing something because, you know, they're missing, they're missing calls left and right. It seems like on a nightly basis, and it seems like it just happened to the Oilers whenever they're playing. But other well, than that uh, – well, yeah, you'd, you'd hope that uh, the refs would have been asked, okay, why did you call it that way? Why did you not give out an instigator? And why yeah, did the linesman back away when he could have pulled Nurse off Polak? But still, Nurse deserved to be suspended, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm disputing that. Oh, no, he, he deserved it, and, and uh, I'll gladly take that because, like I said, I, I, as an Oiler fan, a lifelong Oiler fan, for the last little while I, I've get sick and tired of watching our guys Leaving the ice hurt because they're they're getting pushed around, and we're we're finally pushing pushing back, and and I think uh, with a couple more additions here uh, in the off season, uh, get a little bit bigger and better on the back end. Like I, I you look at Connor McDavid and what he's doing um, with basically no back end. We have nobody back there that can do anything like on the power play or or, right. or just in, in general. Once we actually solidify that and get some some better better personnel back there, this kid's going to just go crazy and light it up even more than he is now. So, uh, looking forward to tomorrow's game. I am going to the, uh, the Oilers when they come down here uh, in uh, in Phoenix. Oh, and, good. Uh, hopefully, back-to-back wins. Yeah, it'll be my third game this year that I've, I've done all uh, I'll be going all three. So, I uh, hope for a win tomorrow, and uh, great show, man. Great uh, talking to you. Yeah, I'll probably talk to you tomorrow, Chris. Thanks a lot. That is Chris from Phoenix at 780-496-0063. quick break for the news. We'll talk more about the Coyotes with Tyson Nash later on tonight. And one of the bigwigs with the CFL, Glenn Johnson, former ref, senior VP of football. He's in charge of the officials. What's going on with the eye in the sky? You'll find out next. Hi, this is Ryan Nugent Hopkins from your Edmonton Oilers. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Chad. Well, that's good timing. Ryan Nugent Hopkins expected to play tomorrow against Arizona. He was activated off injured reserve today. He's missed the last 23 games. Remember, he blocked that shot, broke his hand against Florida. Uh, that was all the way back in January. 7.33 inside sports on 6.30. Chad, quick look at the scoreboard. Northern Ontario up 4-3 on Newfoundland. Seventh end, the 1-2 page playoff game at the Briar. The Oil Kings taking on the Calgary Hitmen tonight. They're in the first period, 1-0 for Calgary. About uh, eight minutes left in the first frame. Arizona in Calgary tonight in the NHL, no score. Six minutes left in the first. Third period, Flyers up three zip on Tampa Bay. The Penguins are trying to finish off Columbus 3-2 with four minutes left. Ducks and the Blues tied 1-1 late in the second period. Jason Spezza has his 26th for Dallas. The Stars lead Chicago 1-0. The second period just started. All right, well, interesting uh, developments here. With the Canadian Football League, uh, a league that's been pretty bold with some of its rule changes and, and uh, considerations of changing rules over the last couple of seasons. And one of the guys involved with that is Glenn Johnson, a former referee himself. He, uh, Glenn, what you, you, they changed your title. You used to be the director of officiating, I think, and now they're just calling you the vice president of, of football. That sounds, that sounds like a pretty big job. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's uh, it is. It's really exciting, actually. Uh, give me the opportunity to uh, you know try and help with bigger parts of the game than officiating, and I'm going to be working closely with Kevin McDonald on a whole bunch of initiatives related to football. So it's pretty exciting. All right, and and obviously the rules and the officiating re- remain part of that. So that's why we yes. we wanted to have you on. And and uh, we we had an interesting talk last year when. There was the consideration about the the two point convert and and the convert moving back. Those were some of the big things this year. The one thing that really stands out to me, and I want to start with, is the so called eye in the sky video official. I'll kind of just ask you generally first. In your mind, and I should I should point out these are recommendations at the moment. They're they're not finalized. But in your mind, how how would this work? How would this help? Yeah, so the video official would be a a partner to the replay official in the command center. This person would be connected live to the officials on the field through a wireless headset. And his role really would be to uh, help them in the moment of the game to try and get more things right, uh, eliminate some of the errors that we're making. Uh, So he would only weigh in on uh, called penalties in the first place. That So the game's already been stopped for something. This official would never, you know, push a buzzer or tell the guys to throw a flag or to stop the game to do something. But in the moment when uh, the game is stopped, you know, we're either adjudicating a penalty that we've called. And if you can have a quick look at that and tell the guys that 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 was clearly a mistake to pick up the flag, um, then we wouldn't apply something that we, we shouldn't apply. Or if in the moment, you know, at the end of the game, there's a second or two left on the clock and the officials on the field, you know, can't stop it in time or they can't look up to the board to see if there's time left to get help with those kinds of things. So it's really to help the officials on the field just get more stuff right in the moment. Well, I'm, I'm glad you're clarifying that this individual is not going to be able to call penalties because that's what I was wondering. Are we going to have basically a guy throwing flags who's not in the game and in the field of the game? So, so, I, so I like that that he can chime in if the game is stopped already. Yeah. Now, it, now, is it hoped that this is going to cut down on the number of times a coach is going to have to challenge? If maybe, I mean, could this official possibly say, oh, look, wait a minute, that wasn't pass interference. Let's pick up that flag now so Jason Moss or Dave Dickinson or Wally Buono doesn't have to throw the challenge flag. Yeah, that's a good question. Um so the only penalties that he would weigh in on are the ones that are not challengeable. Okay. So, you know, what we've done to date is we've given coaches more things to challenge, and they're going to have the opportunity to control that situation, and this video official would help with the other ones. Okay. So it, so it could be, you know, is the procedure offside example maybe the best one there is? Yeah, I think so. I think so, Reed. I mean, that's... It's one of the ones that, you know, as an official, you know, I can tell you what would happen on the field. We'd see the offensive guy move, the defensive guy move. We'd have four flags. The guys would all come together to, to talk, and they try and convince each other that their call was the right call. And the guy that was most convincing in the group, that's the one we'd go with. Okay. And we wouldn't always be right. And everyone at home's watching the replay on TSN going, well, it's pretty clear that the tackle move first so why aren't they just getting that right and that's an opportunity right there to reduce a huddle reduce a conversation get the call right and keep the game moving actually 
All right. Okay. Well, that's a very clear explanation. So that, that's that's excellent. Glenn Johnson joining us, senior vice president of football with the Canadian Football League. We're talking about some of the uh, rules committee recommendations, and certainly the one we just covered was this off-field uh, video official who who could help. Now, the other thing that that's moving along here is making more plays reviewable, such as offensive pass interference. Right now, it's only the the defensive pi. Um, what else? No yards, some illegal blocking on kick plays, even roughing the, the, the passer. So these would all be challengeable penalties. I, I think yeah. if I could speak for probably a lot of people listening, Glenn, and I know you're not increasing the number of coaches' challenges, but you're increasing the number of plays they could potentially challenge. I, I think there's probably a concern among the fans that this is going to lead to more stoppages and more longer delays when they're in the stadium or on TV and they're not watching actual football being played. I think that's a, a concern here. Yeah, it's a fair concern. You know, I think we've uh, thought long and hard about this. We may have an extra challenge per game. You know, uh, last year we averaged uh, 1.65 coaches' challenges per game. The coaches had up to 40 use, but they use them very judiciously we make it very difficult for them to want to use them early. Um, they need to have a challenge left, and they need to have a timeout left to be able to challenge something in the last three minutes of the game. So by design, the whole system encourages them to keep one towards the end of the game, and if a situation never arises for them to use it, they don't use it. So, yes, we're adding more things to it, but I also think when, when you look at the detail of it, the things that we're adding, so on illegal blocks, for example, Reed, we're only uh, letting them challenge ones that were called. We're not going to let them throw one and go fishing for an illegal block that may be on the backside of the play, or it's one we've called and potentially called the touchdown back on. So on that one in specific uh, terms, we're really only ever probably going to put points back on the board. You know, this is where we've called one, we've called back a really nice return, and we're wrong. And it happens. We want to give the coaches an opportunity to fix that. Roughing the passer. We didn't miss very many roughing the passers last year. Very few, uh, you know, a handful. Um, but when we did, it was a big play. So I think what we're doing is we're adding more big play situations. But I don't think they're going to be challenged very often. Okay, Glenn Johnson joining us, uh, Senior VP of Football from the Canadian Football League. How much attention, Glenn, and I, and I think you and I talked a little bit about this last year, how much attention do you pay on what's going on with replays in the, in the other pro leagues? Because I think in the past you, you, have, you have met with officials from other leagues, talked about replay, and the, one of the complaints in the NHL this season is that the offsides or some of the goalie interferences that are close are taking goals off the board. I mean, you'd met, you mentioned that hopefully you're only put, putting points back on the board. But how much attention are you, are you paying to some of these other leagues and maybe some of the issues or fan complaints that are arising from them? Yeah, we spend a lot of time uh, on that. In fact, uh, I'd say three, maybe it was three weeks ago, um, I was down in New York, and actually in, in Secaucus in New Jersey, uh, right in the NBA Command Center and Replay Center, and I, I spent a day there and, you know, worked with Joe Borgia, watched how they do it, what's good, what's bad about it. I spent a lot of time talking to Stephen Walker from the NHL, Dean Blandino at the NFL. Um, 
you know, so we, we work together closely on this. We learn from each other. And uh, the, some of the tweaks that we make, uh, we learn from them. And, you know, they're looking very uh, interestingly at some of the stuff we're doing around being innovative with all these judgment calls. What, what reaction do you have, if any, from some of your, your on-field officials, and you were one not long ago, about this possible, uh, I guess, expansion, if we want to call it that, of the review system and the eye in the sky guy? Yeah, we, we met today with uh, all the coaches uh, in the league, and I, I bring about a third of my officials in, and, you know, we had a good chat about this today here in Toronto, and you know what, the guys like it. Um, it it's become, you know, very difficult in some situations you know, to have the right angle in the moment, the game's very fast. There's some things that are just super hard to call. And these guys want to get it right. And they know sometimes they can't. And they're the guy that looks at this and says, if we can fix a, a call, like look at the Great Cup. You know, we had, if we had not been innovative two years ago, we'd all be having a very different conversation right now about the Great Cup. Um, you know, so I, I, I think they're happy uh, that we're just trying to get it right. Well, if we didn't have video review in the Grey Cup, you probably would have been on the day after the game on this show, talking to some, exactly. talking to an angrier host. But uh... well, no, exactly right. And and you know what? We probably all still be talking about it in some form, right? And and again, I think you know, I, I praise the rules committee, the, my my partners on that. You know, the governors telling us to be innovative. Um, you know, it's good. It's, it's. I think we're in a we're in a good spot. And the other thing I'll say, Reed, is is if the addition the additions we're making now by adding this video official, if they slow the game down, we have failed. That is absolutely not going to be acceptable. We don't want more stoppages. We don't want fans saying, oh, my goodness, you know, the games are longer. And, in fact, last year our games were three minutes shorter. Even with all the things we added last year, we were able to find time and make up time in other parts of the things we did to actually make the game shorter. Well, that's good to hear, and it's funny because – when, when the Oilers had a situation with a re- video review when they played the Avalanche last month, you know some people called in about that, and and there was a caller, and, and he was he's a he was a big NHL, CFL, and NFL fan, and that was his number one complaint that he doesn't want to have to invest three and a half hours to watch a football game in either league, and for me, Glenn, I mean, I, and I don't know if if this could possibly have gone better. But that, the, the one thing for me that I'm going to remember from the past season was that long review at the end of the third quarter of the West Final with the Messam fumble, and I think it re- got reviewed twice for two different reasons. I mean, when, yeah. you re- when you remember that play, is that just, in your mind, sometimes that is going to happen, or, or, or in the future could that be streamlined a bit? Yeah, I think, I think both of those things are true. I think sometimes we're just going to get one that is super crazy hard, and, um, you know, things are going to happen and two different things are going to get challenged. It's going to be really, really rare. Um, and I do think we're going to be able to streamline some of that. You know, now the other side benefit from having this video official who's got a different job than the replay official, they're fundamentally going to be, they're going to be in the same room. And they're going to be able to help each other. You know, so I look at this video official when he's not, when he doesn't have anything to do, to be an assistant replay official. I think we'll be more expeditious there just because of that. Okay. Well, I think that's a concern for a lot of people, and, and it's, it's one of your concerns though, as well, though, though I know you got a lot on your plate. Glenn, thanks for that uh, 
Clarity, as as always, guys like me in the media are always going to pick these things apart and criticize them, but I'm on the same page that I hope that they work, and I'm glad you're open-minded to, to the change if they don't go as planned. Really appreciate that you would make time for us here, especially on your Friday evening here on Inside Sports. Hey, welcome, Reed. Anytime. Right on. That is Glenn Johnson checking in tonight. It's 747, Senior Vice President of Football with the Canadian Football League. So, to me, some interesting and important clarity so the, the eye in the sky would only weigh in on plays where a flag is thrown and he's going to say either pick up the flag or the you know offside procedure, the penalty is on this guy. Um, 1.65 challenges per game last season. I guess it felt like more, but that's because I get, you suppose you remember the ones that take a long time. 780-496-0063. You can text 630-630 if you want to weigh in on anything Glenn said, uh, any Oilers chatter for uh, on your mind as well. I am here to listen and talk. Inside Sports on Chat. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chen. All right, 7.52. Thanks for tuning in tonight. Man, Newfoundland and Labrador, the Gusha rink with a steal of two in the seventh. They lead Northern Ontario 5-4. Now in the eighth, the 1-2 page playoff game at the Briar in Ottawa. The Chinook League Championship Series gets underway tonight in Stony Plain in about 10 minutes. In about 10 minutes, Stony Plain Eagles, uh, or pardon me, it's in Bentley. Uh, well, it's, hey, it's in Lacombe. Okay, I'll, I'll just randomly throw out Alberta Towns, and eventually I'll get the right one. Stony Plain at Bentley in Lacombe. Game one of the uh, final, of course, Ryan Smith playing for uh, Stony Plain. We had the uh, Stony Plain coach on Inside Sports a couple of weeks ago. Love that level of hockey. 780-496-0063. We have Jaden on the line. Jaden, thank you for calling Inside Sports. Hey, Reed. How are you? I'm doing great. All right, so I guess I have uh, two topics on my mind today. Sure. So going back to the uh, Darnell Nurse thing, how we got a three-game suspension, mm-hmm. I felt that uh, going back to the Max Domi thing, how he jumped that one guy, I yeah. felt that he should have got a one-game suspension as well because in my mind, Max Domi jumping that one guy is way worse than Darnell Nurse beating the living crap out of that Roman Polak guy. Well, and, I mean, uh, their argument was uh, was that uh, Polak wasn't involved, that he wasn't trying to, you know, fight back, that he was unsuspecting. That was the argument with Nurse, and that he inflicted an injury. That's why they went with three. I, I mean, I, I thought he would would get one, but that that's what the NHL said. Okay. And uh, the thing that uh, the thing that other thing that I want to talk about is uh, Austin Matthews. And I mean, a couple of my buddies are <laughs> making a bet, I guess. And uh, I'm not, I'm the only guy who thinks that when the Oilers do win the draft lottery, and we get the right to choose Austin Matthews, I'm saying that we should trade that pick and get some help on defense. So I'm not sure if you agree with me or not, but I just want to get your input on that. Hold on, when they win the draft lottery? Well, yeah, they've had four. Over, first overall picks in six years? Yeah, that's why I'm saying when they do. <laughs> You're that confident that a bunch of random lottery balls are destined to go the Oilers' way again. Well, hey, we won McDavid. <laughs> Doesn't mean we can win Matthews, right? That was, the, that was the big one. Remember, they didn't actually win the lottery they, when they drafted Nugent Hopkins. They, they retained the number one pick because the rules were, were different. Um, to be honest with you, I, I would be 
But now, Bob disagrees with me. I would be open to trading the first-round draft pick even if it's in the top three. I, I, I really would. Um, so, you now it depends what is coming back. If you get an awesome defenseman and or maybe you swap picks with somebody and get a really good defenseman, yes, I'm, I'm absolutely open to that. And you are and your buddies aren't, eh? Yeah, I'm the only one, so... And that's what I'm saying. You know, we like this defense has been our worst part of our team for I don't know how long. And I'm saying that, you know, if we trade Matthews, you know, we can either get that chickering guy or, you know, get a really good defenseman. Yeah, well, that's the thing about trading down. You could maybe trade down to five, six, and 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 get Chikrin or maybe get an existing defenseman for sure. Jaden, I appreciate yeah. you listening and calling, man. All right, thank you very much, Reed. Right on seven eight zero four nine six zero zero six three Yakishev. Uh, says, can't the Halsey just uh, call on his old friend Jesus to be the eye in the sky? What? I don't know about that. All right. Uh, so <laughs> you can text 630, 630. Still ahead. Uh, what do we got next, Matthew? Oh, we got Tyson Nash next. Former NHLer, Edmonton kid. Now the TV analyst for the Arizona Coyotes. We'll catch up with Mark Kennedy, the third for Team Alberta at the Briar. They are enjoying a day off today. They will play Manitoba tomorrow. And uh, coming up in the last half hour of the show, Andrew Chernichen, the latest in our Living the Dream segment. He is a forward for the Providence Bruins. He grew up in Hinton. You know what I'm going to ask him, Matthew? I'm going to ask him uh, why Hinton smells and how, well, I know why it smells. I'm going to ask him how they live in that. You know, you've, been, you've ever been to Hinton? It's like being in one of those cars that stinks. You just get used to it after they a while. They got what, the pulp and paper plant? Yeah, it the stinks when you drive through. It's it awful. It doesn't stink all the time. Well. Some days it stinks. You used to play volleyball in Hinton. It'd be like the same as living in Beverly or whatever and, and, and smelling the water treatment plant here, right? It oh, stinks now, once oh, in a while. Get the people in Beverly mad at us. <laughs> that was Matthew that said that, good people of the Beverly neighborhood. Uh, we got the 8 o'clock news, traffic, and weather coming up. Then we're back with Tyson Nash. We'll update the scores as well.